Welcome to the Working Dog Podcast. I'm your host, Allison Erskine. Come along while I interview the top handlers and clinicians around the world while hearing their stories of both failure and triumph and get their view on what it takes to have a good working dog. Now, Milk, you just come out of Calgary, and that yes. was your third win in Calgary? Yes. How many times you made the finals? Um, I think, I think, um, I think 22 times or something. I think I've been in the finals every year except four times or something, or five maybe, I'm not sure. That's quite the record. And um, how cool was it with Kyer getting that award, uh, the hospitality award, your son? Yeah, that was good. It was really good. It, you know, he's um, they're kind of doing things pretty right. He's quite a family guy, and he's um, a great husband and and his wife. I you know I think the world of, and their focus is family, which is which is good. The dogs are good, but it's good to put things in perspective as, on humanitarian work as well. You know. Yeah, for sure. I think, well, he's helping lots of people coming up. He's got his blog. He, well, he sponsored our, our podcast. Like, he's just a huge... He's really in there for the long game. He is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He's, he's, he is a very good citizen, period. Yeah. How did you manage to raise such a good citizen, Milt, <laughs> with your genetics and everything? We're going to talk about genetics um, later with the dogs, but how does that how does that work? Like yeah. that must have been one good woman with a slight lapse in judgment at, uh, earlier on in life. Well, I would be glad to answer that with anybody else, but you. But you kind of already got the same answer. That's why that's why I'm not afraid to ask. I really need to know the answer and figure out how I'm going to overcome my genetic shortfalls too. Well, no, but 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 you turned out pretty good too, in spite of your genetics. Well, thanks, Mel. God, didn't expect it. Compliments so early into the podcast. Um, well, okay, good. Well, it's a common trait, I guess, between us all. Maybe it's just you know, uh, yeah. they you just try so well, not, hard to be better. Not, not not all of us guys that think out of the box a little bit are necessarily bad people. Just maybe bad guided energy. Have you ever thought of that? I guess that's possible. Yeah, bad guided and energy. Uh, maybe just not maybe not the greatest of rule players. Following rule rules followers. is hard, mm-hmm. and often there's way too many. Yeah, way too many rules. Yeah, yeah. And right. nothing cool ever happened following rules. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah. Well, I might have to ask the question that everybody's waiting to hear the answer to. Do you have any um, dating advice? No, I sure don't. <laughs> Okay, we're done roasting yet. <laughs> For now. Okay. For now. So let, back to Calgary, okay. though. Tell it, like, tell us about the trial and, like, I guess um, the lifespan of it, the how it's evolved, what the significance of it is, because um, it, it does attract quite a bit of attention. It's probably one of the more highly attended ones in Canada. So can, do you want to speak to that a bit? Well, Calgary, I was approached in... Um, I'm not sure what year it was, 95 or 6 or something, by um, a guy by the name of um, uh, Max Fritz. And Max had some role down at the Stampede, and I was the president at that time of the Alberta Stock Dog Association. 
and they asked if, it, or Max asked me if he, if I thought that we could have a stock dog competition during the stampede. And I said, well, we got to give it a try for sure. I think we can. And, and we, they give us this little corner kind of under the grandstand. It's all changed. It's hard to explain, but make a long story short, there wasn't enough seating. And, uh, that was the first time I'd almost seen where humans got in trouble. They started piling up on us. And, mm. and, and that's a true story. They, the people, and I didn't know people could be that, I hate to use the word stupid, but <laughs> they kept piling in and there was no place to sit. And, and it was quite a bad deal. And so we went, so the next year there was a big tent right there. And I can't remember what the, they called that tent, mm. but they, they got the idea that we should go to the saddle dome. And, and I had said, well, I don't know if we're ready for the saddle dome quite yet. And we went into the saddle dome for a year or something. And it was a disaster because none of the mainstream people, you know, knew to right. to get into the saddle dome mm -hmm. to watch it. And then we went back and we were in the tent for quite a few years. And then from the tent, we went back to the saddle dome. And then when they built the new building, it's perfect because it, um, you know, it's right in the middle of the traffic. Right. Has the, the spectator base changed a bit over the years? Well, everything's changing, right? Life yeah. changes all the time. And normally, and I don't think we were this year, but normally we we end up getting drawn up during family day. So I think kids get in free, so there'll be lots of little kids and mm -hmm. you never see people really sitting and watching because the kids are restless or whatever. Right. Or not as many people. And this year, it was an interesting thing. There was a fan base that, that filled those seats and stayed there. And they, they I think they were following along you know, on who was winning or losing or whatever, you know. That's a good sign. I think. Mil, what has yeah. been your most... Oh, it's good. What's been your most memorable stampede so far with your dogs? You know, uh, back in the 90s, it was more of a party. I had a dog in the 90s um, that I should have should have, should have won more. She should have won. She never did win. The bitch called Jen. But... So now it's more, um, the party has kind of changed, or for me anyway, I guess it's probably, but the party has changed for me, but now it's more of a family thing. You know, um, I, I enjoy hanging out with, or not hanging out, but seeing Kyer and his family. And then after the finals, all of my kids come down to the grounds, excluding my daughter in Regina, she wasn't there, but my Alberta family were all there. And that was nice. Yeah. And that was this year. Yeah, that was this year, yeah. yeah. But but in general, you know, we, um, the, the Calgary Stampede has its own kind of energy and its own hype. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of controversy on arena trials versus field trials, blah, blah, blah. To me, um, and I think my record stands for that, I don't care where I run. I'll run on cattle arena, cattle field, cattle yeah. or sheep field arena. I just like to run my dog and compete wherever. And, and I believe 100% that a dog in my world, I'm not, you know, if it doesn't work for others, that's their business. But I want my dogs to be able to go to all all discipline. Mm -hmm. Well-rounded, yeah. So what have what has been the similarities in your dogs that have won the three years that you actually have won Stampede? What has been the, um, the, common, the common ground on those dogs? Well... <laughs> They're, they're quite different. My, they're both, well, I only won, I won twice with Finn, my old dog. 
that's just a great dog that I had given to me as a pup. He was six months old or something. And Bob, the the common denominator, if there was any common denominator with them, because um, I know them so well, I don't see it as much, but they're they're very intelligent. And I think I think I probably lean more towards dogs that are pretty good, pretty good thinkers. Um, I don't I don't I don't like a dog that has to be micromanaged. Yeah. or or ran in a submissive state if you will yeah um you know once a dog is trained with me i don't know what we're arguing about all the time we should be on the same page if we're still arguing when they're two-year-olds that doesn't interest me anymore mm-hmm. that's a fair point um so do you like you've had uh finn was a really top-notch dog and then obviously bob's be, uh, he like how old he's not that old how old's bob He'll be five in January. Oh, okay. So, um, like, you got some other dogs that really stood out that we should talk about, and then. Um... Oh, uh, my old, yeah, my old. Sorry, my old Jen bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a Jack Knox bred dog. That was probably the dog I let down the very most. Mm-hmm. She was an absolute ripper of a dog. Um, I won the Western Canadians with her, and that was a really cool story. I won the Western Canadian double lift with her. And she only had one ear. How'd she lose her um, ear? Uh, she had a piece of foxtail go in and take her ear out. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Wow. Is that... And is, but, um, yeah, okay, go on, sorry. What's that? Go on, no, sorry. No, 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 sorry. So, but she was she was a dog that... She was she was a quirky thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've, had, I've had some really good luck. Like, Bob is very weird as well autistically kind of weird Mm -hmm. and i can i know beyond any shadow of a doubt no doubt in my mind at all if um frank wilman hadn't started me there's no no possible way i would have ever worked those type of dogs and i i just i know that i never question it i when i started um there was a lot of pressure that put on me and frank was a, a great coach that you know maybe maybe the dog is right and you're wrong and and in in that, I've been able to get by some of these kind of, you know, a lot of I don't know a lot about horses, just enough to be dangerous. But <laughs> I think you girls could would um, would agree that a lot of your great horses are the ones that you remember always had little quirky things about them. They Definitely. they yeah. do things different. Yeah. Um, I, people say as far they'll go as far as to say Secretariat as an example slept long more than any other horse Mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah and i think i think when you're into animals what we're looking for in competition is the outliers we're not looking for the average average um something to follow a cow around you know yeah otherwise everybody be winning with them so well yeah 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 and and some of the quirky ones it's weird they can be super sensitive training but um, as they get trained, they bring something to the table, and and I've had it where the bigger, the bigger the show, the more they show up. You know, mm-hmm. right. So since we're if that um, makes sense. since we're talking about Frank a little bit, that's where you started off. Why don't we talk a little bit about how you got started into dogs and um, well, can you tell us a little bit about that. Nope. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's you know it's it's very seldom that it's just kind of a one guy deal it's a perfect storm. Um, my family, 
on my dad's side of the family we were quite good at, at working with animals my dad you know for the little community we lived in he could he could train a dog or a horse or whatever but we were i was raised as a kid that if you're struggling with an animal you better not be blaming the animal you know That's maybe right. you're the idiot and and then so then when i went to the frank clinic that just settled right in with how i'd already been started and all he did is confirmed it and by that, I didn't start running to clinic after clinic after clinic, getting my hand held. Yeah. I got told, you get out there and figure it out. Yeah. But you better not be blaming the dog all the time. Where did you go? And, and that was a big, big difference. So where? I only went to one clinic. Sorry, this thing's like got a leg in the and Where did you? Um, where did you develop that skill set? Well, like I said, from my father, and from Frank, and it was because. They're relentless that I was an idiot really was what I needed. I didn't need a pat on the back and how glorious I was. I needed a kick in the ass. Right. But and that's my in... personality and it worked. But was and that... it worked for me. So on the you guys ran cattle. Um, like did you have you had a job that used dogs? Um, or I guess like more specifically where or uh, what type of work well, were you doing and how'd you build that? Uh, well we were working on trying not to starve to death. And yeah. that was that took up most of our time. But yeah. we had we had a small place straight um, south of Skull Creek up in the hills. And the only thing that made that unique was that um, there wasn't much for facilities and there was a, quite a bit of bush. Mm -hmm. um, and if you didn't know smart a cow, you just simply didn't get her in. I was just absolutely the way it was. Right. You know, we we ran on three wire fences and what there was for a krell there wasn't a cow around that wouldn't go through it if you if you overworked her. We never we never had a facility that you could run a cow into a gate that we didn't own one. Yeah, it was always poor facilities, and we were poor people. That's the way it was. And then you got you got, you uh, when did you start working the feedlots then? In nineteen eighty nine. Okay. In but what it... started me? So Sean Wells and I had hung out together forever. Yeah. And he got his first dog, that old Ch first registered dog, an old dog called Chance. And uh, and I don't know what I kind of uh, when I reflect back, I don't remember why I wasn't around Sean for a year, maybe a few months, I guess probably, because we were always together. Anyway, I ran into him and he said, "Geez, I bought this purebred border collie, and you got to see this. This is the coolest thing." Because we just had you know uh, farm type dogs, whatever somebody dropped off, almost really. Yeah or whatever you found somewhere. Anyway, Sean had one old stud horse. We were just young guys, and he had this stud horse, and he was showing me how you put these directions on the dog. I hadn't even, I'd never even heard of that way to me and come by, and never never heard of it. And he had read in a book somewhere how to do it. Anyway, he took me to this horse, and he was making chance go around and around and around <laughs> this horse, and finally the horse got mad and kicked this dog in the side of the head. Oh, no. And, and uh, it's not, you know, in today's world, it's not as funny as it was then but it wasn't <laughs> funny and we never thought it was funny we never thought it was funny but we were more acceptance of it sort of like getting bucked off anyway yeah, yeah. and sean hollered at him you you get up and man this dog got up and shook it off and was trying to get his bearings you know and just kind of <laughs> rung his bell and i thought to myself i need one of that i need one of them <laughs> so and so i went and got a full full brother to him oh, and then i proceeded to work as diff as diligently as i could 
with my ego and my intelligence to ruin him. <laughs> and uh, completely got him so that he didn't even want to look at a cow anymore. <laughs> and I had about give up. And a lady in the bar told me, well, you'll never train a dog anyway. And I went, oh, my. I don't like that. Oh, no. I don't like that at no, all. Now you're a dog trainer. <laughs> yeah. Did you marry her? Well, and, and, and she would no, she was right because, yeah, I could see why she would say it. I, it was quite a wreck. So, Mel, what's uh, what's helped keep your ego a little tamed over the years? Well, like I again, I'm just going to emphasize with my dad when I when I told I phoned back to Saskatchewan and said I'm going to take up this dog trialing, and my dad said, uh, "Well, I think you got to be smarter than a dog to train one," mm -hmm. and I don't like your chances. <laughs> <laughs> and and I wasn't insulted at all. Like if, if people could appreciate that's how we were raised, I thought that's pretty witty. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then and then Frank, the big turnaround with Frank was. Um, I had taken that one clinic with Frank and like all good clinic goers, once you go to a clinic and give a guy a hundred dollars or whatever, you own him. And then I quickly found out I didn't own Frank Wilman. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I phoned him crying my whining like a little baby because I couldn't get these dogs to do something with cows. And he said, Well, if you're so smart, why don't you tie the dog in the barn and go out there your own self? And I remember that, your own self. And I thought, <laughs> what the hell's that mean? Okay. <laughs> So out I go and I ran around the field for all of and then realized that I didn't really actually know a lot about flight zone on, I didn't know a lot about nothing really. And, and then I started working at, at figuring out, you know, when I was in Iraq, what I could do differently, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. That's so like on that note, um, how important is that stockmanship? I mean, is that something that you think can, people can learn or, um, is it either you got it or you don't? You know, I don't know how to answer that, Laura. I'm, I'm totally perplexed by that mm -hmm. because I could give you arguments one way yeah, and I could give you arguments the other way. But I can tell you that if you don't desire to learn it, then you're going to be 100% successful. You'll never learn it. Mm -hmm. If the cows mm -hmm. go over the fence and all you do is build the fence higher, you will never become a stockman. And that's what happened in the dog world when we decided to increase more bite in the cattle, in the dogs. And I remember making a mental note of it years ago. I was at a cow dog thing and this dog bit way too hard in my mind. It hurt the cow, or, you know, the, the steer heifer, whatever it was, not a cow, but, and it come right over top of that dog. And I thought, I think they're gonna make a mental decision Either they get their dogs to feel better, or they're going to get dogs to bite more, and and that's what that's what caused the split in the border collies. It happened about oh, I want to say twenty years ago, and right. so you have this line of dogs that all they do is bite with no stockmanship, and then you have some that all they want to do is sit there and look and feel, and and it's it, it's hard for people to get it together. How do you like? Do you look for a balance between those two, or or how do you navigate that split? I don't at all, actually. Um, <laughs> I go along and then I get caught up in the marketing, which it is. Yeah. It's it's two things. It's a fantasy on how to work cattle uh -huh. created by some kind of a movie teller, storyteller. <laughs> and so every once in a while, I'll dabble in the crazy dog world yeah. and I'll get one. And then uh, once I bang my head against the wall and get all skinned up and 
I'll find somebody to wants to buy it off me, so they take it. And that's good, which I appreciate. Um, but what I look for is just a. I look for a dog that can just go and and do a job. Um, like I said, you know, a bad-minded dog. If they're bad-minded, I I don't care what what attributes they think they have. If they're bad-minded, that's like being convinced that a horse needs to buck you off in the morning before the, they're tough enough to ride all day. I don't buy that. I don't buy that at all. So, Mel, give us an example of a bad-minded dog because I think some people just probably don't know or don't see the the um, signs the signs right away. And so, yeah, maybe just give us an example well, or two that you notice. Well, you'll see them, and you'll see them in competition, or, or hell, you girls go all over a cowboy. How many dogs do you see and the guy's got him on a long line or he spends all day screaming at that dog and hoping that he's going to get him one day and then all of a sudden people are sitting around later and you say, well, how old is he? Well, he's four. <laughs> well, he only has two or three years work and left and he still hasn't even given in. Mm-hmm. Like, that is a bad-minded dog. And, and the nice thing with the bad-minded ones that I've been around, they're the full package deal. You know, you go to the neighbors and they'll want to kill the cat and then they're going to beat up his dog and then they're going to run off. Right. And then they're going to chew up the inside of your truck when you're working. And so do you they, believe... they usually come fully equipped. Yeah. Mel, do you believe that some bad-minded dogs or people that put that label on them maybe aren't bad-minded, but they also have a lack of um, dogmanship or something, and they're just not putting the homework in themselves? You know, um, of course, the answer to that could could be yes. But... Um, you know, if we focus on what is a subjective measurement, we end up living in dream world and cutting them way too much slack because the great dogs come along. And how many people do you know that have had a great dog and they had one dog and he was a great one and then they could never get another one. So that tells me that the dog has way more to do with it than the handler. Yeah. If you have, so back to uh, when the great ones fall out of the sky or if, or whatever, that old dog of Sean's, that chance dog that was trained on one stud horse, ended up running in sheepdog competitions as well as cowdog competitions. Right. Yeah. And he, his desire always, always, always was to impress Sean and not try to be an idiot. Mm-hmm. So do you think, like, um, sometimes, sorry to interrupt, that, like, when you get going on, so say you kind of, oh, I got this dog and wow, he works for me and I'm going to get some more and I'm really going to up my training game and really grind into these things and make them, make them great. Um, like, is it like, do people get trying too hard and mess with them dogs too much? And I'm, when I'm saying this, I'm kind of thinking of Frank's philosophy where you got to let them dogs go out there and figure some things out on your own and not micromanage them so much and beat them down. Cause I I've seen just in a couple that I've had, it's, there's a stage there where it's so important to build that confidence and you can, you can mess it up even if that dog was going to be good. But sure. I get, take your point that a good one's a good one. They're going to do it either way. But how often does that happen? Do you think? Well, to answer your question, that that's kind of, again, is a two fork question, right? There's a lot of, a lot of the groundwork you can do in the communication, um, to build your dog. And then there's times to cut them slack. If they don't know how to handle four wild yearlings, you screaming at them and thinking you're going to put the square flank on them because you just come back from the clinic, that ain't going to work. 
Right. And that is what Frank's referring to, that they might end up under the steer a little and, and dig their way out. But when you get back to the house, and it's not this blind obedience, it's just general manners, like, hey, come on, Bob, get in the truck. Yeah. All right. Well, Bob can surely figure out how to get in the truck. Yeah. Yeah. And Bob can figure out that he's not going to bite my grandkid, and Bob can figure out he's not going to beat up the neighbor's dog. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Right? Yeah. So if he has all those tendencies out of the road, now when we ride out or go out on our quads, I'm not a, you know, I'm a, I'm a, um, a quad jockey as much as anything, mm -hmm. go out to a set of sheep or go wherever. Well, yeah, of course, when they're, they're yearlings or two-year-olds, they're going to make all kinds of mistakes. Mm -hmm. I, I've had dogs in the middle of the sheep and people screaming at my dog at my place, and I'm kind of just laughing like, well, yeah, that's what I did as a teenager too. I ended up in the middle of the cows a couple times yeah. where I ended up. Yeah. And so I, I don't, I don't, I try not to do virtually no blind obedience. Same things I won't, I would never call a dog and say, you know, you come over here and lie down. Well, those are two separate commands. How could he run over and think about lying down? Right. Yeah. Like, but I, what I want is when, you know, my father told me when I wasn't very old, he said, when you speak to a dog, he should at least fleck an ear and that you're in the same world. Yeah. Well, that's a good If point. that makes sense. So everything that I... Every, every single thing that I try to accomplish, and, and I fail probably as much as I succeed, is that I try everything I can do to make it in unity with the dog. And so if they want to walk 20 feet away from me, if that's their nature, that's fine. As long as they're not getting into trouble, I don't care. Mm -hmm. Right. Does that make sense? That answer your question? Yeah, yeah, it does. And so like maybe um, kind of already covered, but like just kind of expound on that. What are some of the biggest errors that you witness people making when they're trying to navigate that uh, the point we're making right now? I guess. Okay, oh, that's yeah, that's 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 a really really good question. So, what I see, and it, and I get tagged with the idea that I'm against clinics. I'm not against clinics if there was a sole purpose of what they were going there for to learn. But let's say the clinicians market because everybody has a marketing gig. And the marketing gig is the, all the dogs have to have square flanks. Right. <clears throat> well, you could end up getting a square flank dog when he's two and a half, but when he's a yearling, he can't handle it. Mm -hmm. The same thing as an unconditional stop. If you're going to compete and if you're going to do well, you must be able to stop that dog. But I'll work dogs for months that they're not ready to stop. They can't stop. They're not ready mentally. They just can't handle it. They can't handle being stopped. And so I'll ask for it, um, and it basically, Laura, I guess it's on the pretense that just because a teenager takes the farm pickup and comes home late, does that mean that he should, he'll never ever make it as a rancher? That's right. I don't buy that. Yeah. I don't buy that at all. Yeah. It just takes so much time with the dogs and, and, and... patience. How much do you think patience, um, is a factor in it, whether you're calling the dog too early or you're making the right choice. Is there an instance where you think that you probably could have gave a dog more chance or more time, or are you pretty confident in your decisions there? I think I think patience has probably caused as much harm as it has good, actually. Oh, because really? Because patience and apathy and apathy are, are very similar. I I want to push 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 my dogs. Yeah. But but in saying that. What people call patience is letting a dog 
not progress at all. That's not patience. That's just apathy. But, and then there's other people that talk about, well, I overpressured him. Well, if you overpressured him, he'd, he'd probably give you lots of warning. Yeah. And so um, my whole thing is I'll, I'll continue to lean on it to direct him in the direction that I want to go. And, and then at some point, they just say, you know, look, I'm just kind of a farm dog. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not up to the big show like you want. So, why don't you find me another job? I'm good, perfect. But what I try, and I've, I've been, I think I've got about three turns of dogs right now, with zero corporal punishment at all. Where I, they've not had any spankings at all, none. Like Bob has never had a spanking in his life. Yeah. And I'm, I'm puzzled. I, I hate to, I, I keep in the back of my mind that, you know, I would sure give one a spanking if I had to, but I'm finding as I'm thinking through things, I'm just, I'm just not having to. I, uh, I take that, well, back to playing it back to you guys, because I, I think that's the greatest parallel. As you, the world that you girls live in, and I don't know 100%, but I've watched videos and stuff and picking it up. You guys don't hardly go out there and rough it out with a horse and get your ass bucked off like we did 40 years ago. You no. do your groundwork. That's right, yeah. And the dog thing is exactly, exactly the same. You know, if you go back 40 years ago or whatever, Ray Hunt come in 82 and, and you know, planted seeds, and I'm not, I'm not getting in one church or the other, but he definitely planted seeds that says, hey, maybe we don't have to tie a horse down and throw blankets on him and tie a leg you know we don't maybe we don't have to do all that stuff maybe there's another unity and what you see in the dog world there's been a split there, there's people stay with the old school and there's people that have went with the new deal and the same as in the horse world and when you go to the ranch horse competitions who's more competitive the new way of thinking or the old way mm-hmm. yeah that's right you always got to stay evolving and keep up with Being it willing to adapt yep well any any animal event that you're competing in it just when it's when it's competition there's always going to be better ways come out of the work woodworks and and uh, always learning to be done right no matter what so yeah and genetically you know we've bred these horses how you guys have got horses at two and three year old that are surpassing six year olds 30 years ago mm-hmm. and in the dog world we've genetically bred them so they want to get along and and people look at that that they're not tough well you know, the whole idea of toughness in a dog is based a lot on fantasy because it's exciting. A cow is running, a dog bites cow, cow runs over dog, and, and said handler thinks the dog tried. Right. He never did shit. All he did is he bit a cow and got ran over, and the cow ran away. So, Mel, what do you think feeds this fantasy? You know, I, I know there's, like, videos online and stuff like that, and people like these 10-second clips of dogs chewing on cows in the bush and stuff like that. I know that helps. But um, what do you think is the main factor feeding this fantasy? Well, it's an exciting thing, right? Like, if, <laughs> um, there, there's many events at the ranch rodeos that are way more skillful than, than the pro rodeo. But what's more exciting? Where mm-hmm. you can get on a horse and stick a spur in them, or one that you go around a crowd and get a horse that you can use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the majority of the people that are, are having dogs attack cows either don't work with livestock full-time or they don't own livestock, but they market the hell out of their dogs because when, when said rancher has said cow run away, 
he wants some revenge. That's why you see trucks with their front ends pushed in where they knock the cows down <laughs> in the pickup. They want to do something to it. Make fun of my they truck. didn't get the cow in any faster. They didn't get her in any faster. But they created a little pain and excitement while she was running away. Mm-hmm. I do think it's a power trip too. Like people get off on having well, that, of that bigger hammer or another hammer to pull out of the toolbox kind of thing. And yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And they and they and Laura, don't forget, we will always promote what we think we can sell. And that's just human survival. Oh why wouldn't you? For sure. Yeah. 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 And it gets a lot of attention and that seems to be what drives uh so much with social media and everything and do you think mel like the people that are marketing this dog these dogs and maybe they are decent handlers and they can get by with these dogs that are little on the wilder side and stuff like that and and then they they sell them to these people who maybe can't train a dog as well but they can still get a lot done because those dogs they do like to bite and make commotion and all this stuff and they think they're really doing something um do you think that kind of plays a part in it as well um very very small yeah it it's it's all depends how you keep score right it's it's this idea the reason that the guy selling the dog is saying that they're doing more is because they're running where there's nobody keeping track yeah i hear over and over and over again that these dogs in the back 40 or behind the barn or the cow that you know the cows in a in in various situations but i hire we hire lots of different people and, or I run in, you know, go and hang out, not as much as an older guy, but as a younger guy, you know, we'd end up helping gather a set of cows. And I just wasn't that mesmerized by them. I saw them doing stuff that they thought was great, but I didn't see the cattle any better. But, but we, but you, but the typical human, you can take it too far the other way. I'm not, I am not here promoting the dogs that have three sheep looking at them at a tr- dog trial and they can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. I, that doesn't that doesn't interest me but i am interested in a dog that you know the going's tough and and there's money up or or whatever it's a tough competition for the handler and and it could be something as hot as much as anxiety trying to impress mom and dad on the ranch or something you know and the dog says hey i'm going to dig down and just give you a little bit more that impresses me yes yeah i don't i am not impressed with a criminal that thinks I'm going to go chew on a cow and I I need to have a collar on and I'm going to run. No, that doesn't impress me. I want somebody to think that wants to get along. Not to jump too far. And I'll out. tell you the other the other problem that we have that is absolutely run rampant to where I think it's an epidemic. The number one concern I have within the border collie is that selection for those hard biting whatever I don't even know how to describe it. They've got an endurance issue that would <laughs> that is a big big issue. And oh, for there sure. There is bloodlines. There's bloodlines out there when that big old tongue comes out and falls to the side. Shit, don't don't tell me that you can get a day's work on them because I can't get twenty minutes. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's and how do they get away with that? Or why why is that why is that why is that popular? Because up? it's exciting. If well, you the think, bite, oh, so you mean that the. Sorry, I gotta get this clear. So the the bit like them harder biting dogs are that you think that lack of endurance is coming through those lines specifically, or is it? Yeah. Are you talking lack yeah, of endurance in general? The, I think it could be the shape of their head, and and I'm not positive. Yeah. But if the ones that I've watched that are like that have that great big block head, blocky and head, and their tongue yeah. is oversized, and their tongue comes out of their mouth and falls over and gags them. That's what happens. It's not. It's not rocket science. And nerves, 
Like nerves play into that quite a bit, don't they? Like well, no, but that was a marketing kick, right? Well, he's not really tired; he's busy in his head. What the hell difference does it no. make? Yeah, it doesn't. The outcome's exactly the same. Like mm -hmm. unless you unless finish that sentence, is that sentence? Are you telling me that there's a way that I can make him less busy in the, in the head? I don't know how. Yeah, really. Yeah. Or do you want to have to do that with every right. dog that you breed, and spend that time just no. trying to yeah take the ADHD away from them? What about? And I think, oh, I think it's a big, big, big draw. I think that's the number one problem. If people are worried about weak dogs, if we if we look at the border collie realistically, are the ones that can't do two, ten hours work, that's a way bigger problem than weak dogs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're probably right. What about uh, you mentioned earlier? Made me think of it. Are, shock collars. Thoughts? I keep on hearing more and more about them. People are using them a lot. It seems. Well, I find a little humor in it either way. Um, I don't use one myself because I'm working on some other things in my head. Uh -huh. <clears throat> Basically, my goal, and I'm even scared to say it, in 1982, I, I took a Ray Hunt clinic, and I had that in the back of my mind forever, and I thought, I just fail miserably at it, and I don't know how to do it. And then, I, as the world all knows, I got you know, drinking worse and worse, and I just couldn't do it. And so I've been practicing now a bunch of that unity stuff. That's kind of where I'd like to go with it. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I'm not, I am not on no soapbox. I'm not, I just, I wished I could, but I, I went and judged the cowdog finals down in Iowa and there's a whole pocket of guys down there that are electric collar trainers. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, um, it, it's a different thing to watch because when they say stop, their dog will just fold his legs and lie down. doesn't matter how fast. Yeah. But they're effective. And where it comes into humor for me is people breed dogs they can't handle, and then they slap a collar on them so they can handle them. Right. Why didn't they breed something they could handle? The second thing that I find funny is that some of the, the people that really like to get rough with the dog, you know, you see it in the horse world, people mm -hmm. get rough. But some of the guys that get the roughest with the dog are the most outspoken against the collars. Oh, that's funny. Well, I, I don't make no sense. That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. I think it's like any tool. Um, I I think the first guys that probably used to tie down on a horse on the right, you know, hot blooded horse probably worked to get his head down. And then yeah. when everybody used it as a shortcut, it probably didn't work. Yeah, fair enough. It Ends always... up just being a crutch. Yeah. Leaves horse. Right. But the the real danger, and I wish I knew a better way of getting around it, as soon as people stray away from the competition, they start creating their own fantasy and and marketing it accordingly. And you know, myself, um, you know, I, I do now, especially now, I do buy um, outlier dogs that are from nothing that you know, just to see what I can find. Yeah, challenge but, yourself a little bit. No, not challenge. No, not that at all. Because I'm too lazy for that. But <laughs> no, I want a nice dog. Yeah. But I I always migrate back to something that I can measure. And competition is one thing. When they shut the gate at that pen, whether at a cow dog trial or watching Scott Glenn at a field dog trial, a field sheet, I know where we stand. There yeah. is no question. I don't need to make up a story. That's you know, great. Scott was first and I was third. Scott was first and I was 12th. Okay, you suck, Milt. You suck. <laughs> it is. Yeah, um, yeah add adds some accountability to your ideas, hey. And you got a chance to yeah, improve that's it. it. Yeah. 
Well worded. Well, well, well worded. Stock up what your theory is. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, um, is there a way, like, if you, I mean, it's kind of contradictory to the point we're just making, but you trial or trial is the best way to prove you got a good dog. Like, I mean, is there people out there that are using their dogs at home that you think actually could step into the ring and be competitive? Um, or the trials really, like, they, they do have a way of making people up their game and you go there, you talk to people, you draw off of their knowledge and competitiveness always is gonna, you know, make people work a little harder at it. But, um, you know, I'm like, what are your thoughts there? Like, do you think you need to trial well, to make that level or what? They're the only one, that's the only equal playing field that I know of right now. Right. Is it perfect? No, it's far from perfect. And there's people that, probably myself included, that have learned to play the game yeah. to get, you know, points or whatever in spots. I just, but it's at least somewhere where there can be more than, you know, there's a measurement. Unless I had eight neighbors stand behind the barn to watch you that stormy night, it could yeah. be somewhat of a, a thing that you made up. That's and, right. And I, nothing against the individual telling the story. It's just simple human nature, especially, especially if you're trying to sell something. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, and 30-second you know, clips and all, of videos. And we all have to sell stuff and make some money. Yeah. Otherwise, I know everybody has to make a living. I, I get that. Yeah, yeah. It also adds, like, another level of pressure in a competition, like your own nerves and the dog's nerves and everything like that. I think there's you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, Mel, didn't you have yeah. terrible nerves? Like, didn't you used to puke before your trials and stuff? How'd you get around that? Oh, boy. I didn't, I don't know if I threw up, but all oh, my nerves were terrible. Maybe terrible. that was I, had, I think I had a nervous breakdown one time at a trial, actually. Really? Um, yeah, I had back in the 90s. I think that's what it was. I just, you know, we, mental illness at our place was, you know, not you talked about or whatever, but I, I'm sure, because I really was in a bad shape, you know, anxiety or what all those big words are, but, um, so I made and I made a bigger shift the last handful of years than I did before. I just run for myself and I started doing that. Right. Um, and once I started running for myself and seeing if I'm progressing with the dogs, there was a weird shit happened. My dog started running better and I started doing better. Right. Wow. Because, you know, while you're out there running for eight minutes, it, wherever you're at, prior to running is not going to make one damn bit of difference. In fact, I don't, I never go to the practice field before a big trial. Lots of times before a trial, I won't work my dogs for a week or so they're, so they're fresh when I go. Huh. Now, again, I'm going to, I'm going to quantify. That's just how I do it. I'm not telling people how to do anything or I'm not saying that. It's just what I do. Your dogs are pretty I want broke. Them, I want, <laughs> well, I want them kicking down the barn when I get to the trial because yeah. At the end of the trial, my gas tank's empty. Mm -hmm. right. I've asked everything that they possibly could give me. And if I had done that the day before or get fighting with them, if you get fighting with the, with a dog prior to going to the competition, how the hell would you ever fix it two days before? I can't do that. That's I right. I don't know how. You can cause a mess. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As well as training on a dog, you know, there. I know like in the horse world, you get training on a, on a horse a day or two before the competition and you can yeah really get in their head and knock their confidence down because you're a little bit nervous and um it can become right. a wreck in a real hurry mm -hmm. yeah like if you like if you watch the handlers and you can see it as clear as can be 
and both of them will have success, you know, but there'll be some handlers run their dogs in fear and oppression and some dogs run in unity and some people run in, 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 um, begging. Yeah. Myself, I don't, I, especially now, I, I'm not saying at one time I was really hard on lots of dogs and ruined them. Yeah. But now at the end of the competition, I think me and my dogs could jump in the pickup and head to the restaurant. They don't care. Yeah. It was just another day with milk, you know, and they're not worried about, well, we didn't get a ribbon. They're not mad. They're not worried about milk at all. Yeah. Same thing is I laugh lots of times if a, especially on my young dogs, a, dog, a sheep will stand to a dog and, and I don't, I mean, they, that, yeah, they're going to bite and they not always, I get a kick out of it because they'll look at me like, well, she had to go down. That's the way it is. <laughs> oh, well. Sorry, Milt. Had to do it. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. And that's the way it is. I don't care. Well, I always find like I'm so like proudest I am of my dogs is when you feel that they're out there working for you, not because they're afraid of you, but they're trying mm -hmm. for you. And that's to me, 100%. that's the coolest thing about dogs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't look at my dogs any different than I do my kids and maybe she'll be insulted here and that, but <laughs> I think they know that, but we, we all communicate the same way. You know, you take, there could be one family of kids will tell their dad to screw her off and the other guys say almost the same but being totally different mm -hmm. you know my kids are forever lack, laughing at i mean everybody in the world knows how goofy milk thinks and my kids just laugh about it but i know that if i needed any one of those kids i could pick up the phone right now and they'd be there yeah 100 percent loyalty without any doubt ever 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 yeah but but do they give their old man a hard time oh my <laughs> well, you hardly earned it and non-stop well yeah but, but we, we 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 respect each other that's right yeah yeah and you're comfortable like that's i think that's a big difference about it too and if your dog's pussyfooting around you or your kids because they think they're gonna offend you and they're gonna get in trouble and they don't know where it's coming from or what might set a person off then they're that take you know they wouldn't do that you know so that's but, right and i i i often wonder if we shouldn't, um, you know, the, the importance of humor. Mm -hmm. If you can't laugh at the wreck your dog got in, mm -hmm. you're, in a, you're in the wrong world because it's not the trial host's fault. It's not the cattle's fault. It, it's, hey, shit just happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just get Wait, tired of fencing. That's what gets me mad. <laughs> Tricks and fence. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that's right. You got to... That, and that's and I think that's something Milt that you've displayed beautifully in the industry is your humility and uh, I mean you've been so successful for so many years and uh, you're, you're always humble about it and and you're always a fun visit and you're opinionated and that's and it's entertaining and and uh, it's it's refreshing for for me to be around for sure yeah I think a lot of people actually do appreciate your honesty and everything like that and and some of your Facebook posts, they do go a little viral, and it's but it's always a good read because there's different opinions. But um, as long as you can go in it a little bit open-minded and not get offended by um, by a post that's not not meant to do that. What is let what 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 do you think, Mill? Was your most controversial Facebook face post? Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Oh, probably what I just told you guys about this whole tough dog. That that will just absolutely go mental. People go crazy. Over oh yeah. That. But um. I think I just I feel strongly about that I and I, I don't know off the top of my head I've had, I've, I've kind of laid low on it for a while because yeah I need to do some more of it but one thing I would like to say though before we run out of time 
the number one thing that I'm looking at right now as far as a gift back are, are to plant seeds. Yeah. You know, when, when we talk about, we go to a clinic, we learn how to do a square flank, okay? Right. We learn how to do balance. All we actually learn when we're doing a bunch of that is just the lingo. We actually don't learn shit. It's about the lingo. Yeah. But what is really critical is how do you communicate and how what is your holy shit command? You know, it's not it's not necessarily um, the growl and it's not necessarily knock it off and it's do you hear me? That that that's all good and, and that might work for you, it might not. But what was what is your replicate of whatever when you were a kid and and, and um, and say Laura with you, Marilyn said, Laura Armstrong, or maybe she said your whole name, mm -hmm. and you went, I just crossed the line. Mm -hmm. And Laura's, and Marilyn's serious now. Yeah. That's the biggest thing lacking, and it doesn't have to be fear, it's just pull your head up, pull it out of your ass, yeah. and go. And so if I'm with my dogs, mine right now, and it changes, so dude, that's why I'm not criticizing whether you say knock it off or growl or go fly to the moon, because I've used all different things and there's no magic one. But right now, mine is, are you stupid? And they go, huh, <laughs> I, I kind of feel like I might be, eh? Yes, you might be. So stop what you're doing. That rolls off the tongue, too. And, and, and that's what I see as trainers. They don't have that. They don't They don't holler up the field and say, stop, hit a prick. Yeah, yeah. Just stop it. Just stop what you're doing. I use the, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And... And then yeah. I caught myself and, using and, and it on the kids. Good, but, but if but if they don't if they don't check up, then you got a problem. Yeah. So how do you back that up if they don't respond to that? Well, that starts on your whole groundwork. Like Bob, get in the truck. Mm -hmm. And that's 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 where it all starts. If 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 I don't have the simplest thing, like hey, I know you know this. Let's try this one, right? Right. Then if I step to them. Um, you know, the back to my father, I remember my sister went to catch a neighbor's horse or something, and the horse ran over, and my dad was just appalled. Yeah. Because how would a horse not have enough respect when you step over to catch him that he stops? Yeah. Well, I see that all the time with the dogs. They'll be going, Fluffy, 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 Fluffy. And Fluffy has no more concern for that handler than flying to the moon or the cowboy going. I remember one time this guy come to my place, and he was a growler. And he's growling at his dog, and the dog was humping my dog. <laughs> okay. and I, said, I, I think your dog. I think your dog is getting a sexual fantasy out of it. It's not working. It's just not working. Yeah. Sadist. Yeah. So else. stop what you're doing. Stop it. Yeah. And that is handlers we have to do when it's not working. Quit doing it. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. That's good. <laughs> um, right. Like you know what I mean. Yeah. So Mel, where do you uh, where do you see the dog world going in the next ten years? I'm very, very, very concerned about it. Oh. Um, and here's why: we run parallel to the horse world, except one thing: we have no money. Oh. And the number one thing that kills us is the disconnect between the dog competitors and the stock owners. Mm -hmm. And once you have that disconnect, um, there's going to be a handful of people that have sheep and know that they have the sheep or whatever, and they will charge you accordingly. Mm -hmm. 
And once it becomes so it's not cost prohibit prohibitive, you're in trouble. The next problem that we have, and I'm talking more of the competition, we keep trying to grow the sport through the novice through the eyes of the novice. And in the meantime, the elite opener getting better and better and better, and the people coming in have no place to catch up. Yeah. Huh. And especially, you know, back back to the parallel to the horse world, in the cutting horse world, you have professional status and non non pro trainers, right? Yeah. In the dog world, if you go to a the big double lift competitions and the, and the full time professional guys are there, the chances of somebody stealing the top spot in the podium pretty small so you think that that so, status should apply to the dogs too maybe i just wonder because it's well, not really it's professional course. well it's starting to get more professionalized like your son or you know got yeah. guys that are training outside dogs and whatever you see do you see in the states more um people running clients dogs like for the purpose oh, of course they, of they the go you go there laura yeah you go there and you they'll they'll have groups that are like their own little nation and if, if this if this person is with this ex trainer, he better not run over to the other camp, or he could get removed. Oh, that's so harsh. I mean, I don't. That is very. That is so. Yeah. yeah. No, that's. I don't do any of that shit because I just don't fit in anywhere. I just do my own thing, <laughs> and I post stuff on Facebook, and I make fun of their dogs. So, <laughs> and I could care less. Is that? I don't care. I won't what are they doing different over there then? Is there, are they finding the money down there? That is there something Canadians are not doing that's happening somewhere else? Or what, what can we draw from this? Well, yeah, the Americans just have a lot more money. And, and when they retire, they can go to, like, it's like Britain, you can go to a bunch of trials. You get down into that eastern United States and deep south, and they'll go to a bunch of trials yeah. because they'll have 60 or 70 Katahdin you know, yeah. uh, trial sheep, and they go to that place or this place. And out here, um, majority of the sheep are owned by the Hutterite Brethren. Yes. You know, and they're renting sheep out, which is good. Excellent. I'm, I'm grateful that they are. But if it wasn't for them right now, you look at all the trials in Alberta, if the Hutterite Brethren aren't supplying sheep, we don't have a lot of sheep. Mm -hmm. That's a big problem that cow people or horse people don't have. Um as much so huh well that's right and in the cattle thing you know you know yourself the yearlings this year going to trade for twenty five hundred dollars and you ride in with an old pickup and say hey i'd like to put old uh old buck on some cows mm -hmm. no you won't no you won't yeah unless you really really pay through the nose so yeah huh that's it it's something i didn't didn't think of so um now while we're kind of like talking about the trials and the structure of the dog world up here, like where, like we have our different associations. Do you just want to kind of comment on your overall experience through these different cattle and sheep organizations that we have here? And, uh, through the North and South, like Canada and the States, all okay. North and North America usually, right? Yeah. And like what, what, well, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on the board of directors for the USBCHA. Uh -huh. And I'm also on the board of directors for the NCA, and that's that to me sounds like a real conflict. In fact, <laughs> I come forward with one of them and said, you know, you should really kick my ass out of there. That doesn't make any sense to me. But um, they both have a lot of attributes, but they also have their struggles. But the number one common thing with any of the dignitaries or or the associations 
They do nothing to protect, support, or promote the trial host. Uh, they, everything is geared towards the handler. Mm-hmm. And we ain't short on handlers. We got all kinds of handlers. If you put on a trial, you, you're full. There's no, there's no problem with getting yeah. handlers. But we're, we're damn short on people that are going to put up with the handlers' bullshit. Right. Yeah. I yeah. I think that goes for a lot of things. So, yeah. So where's the where's the solution there, Milt? Have you come up with one or? <laughs> I I I have and I haven't. You know, I think instead of it just being more rules, it has to come down to just a common efficacy. Yes. Um, you know, you can call it code of the West, you can call it, name it however you want to name it. But one of the goals that I set a long, long time ago, and I, I think, and I'm proud to say my family, I, I feel, is doing the same. I try to always put back more than I take out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I try to leave, I, I want to leave. I want to leave the sport more than what I took. Yeah. If, if, if at all possible. And, and you know, it's like anything, when you say something positive, the first thing that jumps out at you is all the things that I could do better. And I know that's true and everybody could agree to that, but that is my desire is to always try to put back more than I take out. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a good way to go about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like if, I, and if I'm a, if I go to the trial, you know, to a trial, um, you know, I've been pissy with judges and, and been an asshole about it. But for the trial host, if the trial host said, "Hey, Mel, you got to, I need a hand," I, I I don't think I would ever say no. No. Yeah. What is like? I mean, it's there is such a thankless job, and and why would a person want to host one when if you know, it's amazing that people do, and thank God they do. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that is a big one for sure. So, um, what about the overall camaraderie of, uh, you know, people you've traveled with over the years? Do you got any like memorable stories that you want to share with us? I mean, like, yes, you here's guys, some good old stories. Cause I, I, but maybe not the ones traveling with uh, my parents exactly. Uh, but... Oh, you can throw my dad under the bus. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We, we used to sure laugh a lot. I mean, there was, oh my. <laughs> um, but you know, we, we were all agriculturists, right? Yeah. And all like-minded farmers. So there wasn't, we didn't have, um, we didn't have, uh, these thin skinned experiences. I mean, yeah. I remember being at the, at, I, I remember running a dog called Tom and, and he was famous cause he would absolutely throw sheep down. He was a son of that Glen dog that Dale had. <laughs> and, uh, and I got to the shedding ring with them. And the problem is with those sheep or those dogs, when you got to the shedding ring, you always had lots of time because you were trying to hold them all the way around the course, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to shed with this thing. And Dennis Nagel, my friend Dennis, started um, pretending that he was the dog. And so every command I give, Dennis would talk back. And he had it in perfect sync. <laughs> like I'd say, you got there. And Dennis would go, I can't milk. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch is gonna die. <laughs> and it was so clear. It was, it was like a ventriloquist coming out of this dog. And I'm trying not to laugh. Oh my, that was really a highlight. So anyway, the second part of that story was really funny. They had this older gentleman judging, and I have no idea whether he went to had an hour. I, I shouldn't. I'm not trying to say anything negative, but he did. He didn't notice something, or he let things go, or I don't know. So this dog, after Dennis 
had told me what he was going to do over and over again. He finally, um, he finally grabbed a sheet and started dragging it out of the shedding rink. <laughs> he just grabbed her by the back leg and started flailing her out of the shedding rink. And so I presume, and uh, the judge never said anything. And so I just went, you get out of that. So he let her go and she comes back into the shedding ring. And I still had like four minutes to try to figure out what to do with this thing. <laughs> and Dennis nonstop on me. So they, we were exhausting into this trailer. Okay. And, and because it was so long, the poor people at the exhaust were like, oh my God, how long is this guy going to stay out there? <laughs> too stupid to retire. So they opened the door of the trailer to see if they had enough room to get my sheep in or whatever was left of them when I got there. <laughs> and the one sheep that he had drug around the shedding ring looks and he, she sees this trailer door open mm. and she looks to where that black dog was and she thinks, well, I think I could make it. <laughs> and away she goes. And she's running as hard as she can run. And the pe poor people at the exhaust, they think, oh, I ruined his run. So instead of letting her in, they shut the door on the trailer and oh. she hits, I don't know how, she hits her head about halfway up the trailer, like bang. Oh no. And this dog is in hot pursuit to finish killing her. <laughs> and I'm in hot pursuit to save the sheep. And the judge hears this bang at the door and he starts screaming at me, like I'm a felon. And he's screaming, that'll do, that'll do. And I'm running, looking over, but yeah, I know I'm running. <laughs> anyway, this dog gets her by the guts and he or gets her down under by the trailer. And then he spots me coming, so he lets her go. And he goes under the trailer through a water puddle and he gets out into the crowd. The, the crowd, this is a coronation. And these people had pulled up the whole family in this white, I'll never forget this white Ford pickup and four door and they were full front and back. And they opened that door and that Tom dog jumped over <gasps> everybody, just dripping in mud. And, <laughs> oh, <underneath>. no. <laughs> and so now I'm walking along and the crowd, everybody's laughing, all my peers and I'm going, instead of hollering, I'm, I'm now I'm suckle I'm Tom, Tom, and I'm thinking he he didn't go, and I could see these people jumping up and down in the truck. And I'm like, no, no way, no, no. I had to walk over and I said, have you seen a black dog run by him? Yeah, he's under our seat and he sure acts like he's scared. And that poor family was just dripping in mud, dripping. That's a good one. Oh, that's anyway, awesome. So I said, Tom, 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 come here, Tom. Had a boy, Tommy. And yeah, had to put a leash on him. And... <laughs> so so when these guys get telling you the, the, the bougie woogie about running these tough dogs, I, I will promise you, I would promise you, they would look like Catholic kids compared to that thing. Holy <laughs> heavens. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. So it's not that I haven't ran. I have ran the ones that would buck you off in the morning. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, geez. Um, well, when we were at that trial in um, Stavely, was, was it Stavely? And I, I was pregnant and I ran, took them two dogs. And that was whatever, got through that barely. And then we were sitting in the stands and you were having a moment, a philosophical moment of humility. And you were saying, it was Stormy Winters and Sean Wells was there, I think. And we were sitting there and you're like, Geez, I wonder how many dogs I've wrecked. And Stormy says, "Well, you're not fucking done yet." <laughs> uh, Stormy put on a trial one time, and Nina was pregnant with Kyer. Mm -hmm. And 
and no, ran very pregnant at the trial, and and she really wanted to dance, and I didn't feel like dancing. And, uh, I said to Stormy, "Well, would you dance with her?" And he goes, "Well, I put her in that condition. The least I can do is dance." No, oh, my God. <laughs> oh my! I thought that was really good. Oh, he's just the worst. Uh, yeah, good old, good old Stormy. Um, yeah. But, but anyway, that, you know, again, everything's changing, the world changes, and I'm not saying what's right or wrong, it's whatever people think, but, but if, if we don't, if we, if we don't fix this endurance thing, these border collies are going to be in trouble. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to try to stay off the controversial topics for a little while. <laughs> you cl we saw you cleaned him up a little bit. We were disappointed. We like to, I don't know, we like to present people's <laughs> well, genuine... There was a lot of people thought it was good. But when it gets really bad when your own son says, well, you do know how you're going to die, right? I said, what? What are you talking about? Well, somebody will shoot you. You will be shot. That's <laughs> amazing you made it this far. Yeah. Yeah, Stormy Winters told me that I wouldn't make 50. He thought for sure I'd be dead before I was 50. Yeah. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on healers? <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, but seriously, Mel, yeah. do you have any, any final thoughts? All my, you wanna... all my, positive, all my positive friends. <laughs> yeah. Do you... No, not really. Um... <laughs> No, I, I, you know, the dog world, I guess, and putting a plug in for the dog world, the dog world has done a lot for me, um, drug me through some bad times. And, and the nice thing about it is it's, it's similar to golf. It's an, it's an art that you'll never, ever master. And we, we can all try our best to get better, but we'll never master it ever. Yeah. And what we think is the answers today obviously will elude us later. Throughout my life, I've got to meet a lot of really cool people and had a lot of laughs and get back to the camaraderie where, you know, the dogs are dogs and, you know, but have a good laugh at what we're doing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that is what it's about. And that, but that's what feeds the addiction is the, the bar is always moving higher and uh, goalposts are changing. Always, always, always. Yeah. And that, that is what makes it such a wonderful sport. And, you know, just that companion that uh, goes out there and tries her guts out for you. So, um, and the, I don't know, I really believe in the lessons that we learn from the dogs that relate to your family and you touched on that or people in general. Um, and I, I think that can't be underestimated and drives the addiction a little bit more too. So, yeah, but we really, you know, when, when people are talking, do one more thing, yeah. Laura, but you know, people ask about the communication with their dog mm -hmm. and I'm going to tie this a little bit to Ray Hunt's deal where, where he says, how you do anything is how you do everything. And that is so true in communication. How you communicate with your dogs, your kids, your, your, is how you communicate. Yeah. And that means that you adjust to who you're communicating with. Yeah. You know, um, if I'm sitting with somebody in a restaurant and they're rude to the waiter or waitresses, I take mental note of that and they're not my tribe. I'm, that's not me, I'm not that guy. Yeah. And now there's different ways. There's different jokes that you tell them in different circles. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Sorry. I'm just get. I just. I'm just getting up on another hill here. But is if you are doing strange communication with your dog, 
I don't really think you're communicating. I think you're marketing. Mm. There's a big difference. And, you know, and I think the, how you communicate, Laura, with your dogs mm. or Allison or, is completely different, can be completely different how I do it. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, how do I get my message forward to the dog? How do I do it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. But I'll tell you, if all of the dogs are bad and all of the dogs, all of the dogs are out to get you, you better adjust yourself because that's where the problem is. Yes. Yeah. True with everything. So, no, that's, that's really good. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, well, that's a good point to kind of, we can wrap it up and you can get back doing what you're doing. And, um, we just really appreciate you ha having you on and, and the training short you did previously was, was well received and yeah, we really I'm sure do appreciate it. people are going to be able to draw a lot of good stuff out of this uh, conversation. Um, Milt, where, um, where can people find you if they want to take some lessons or buy a dog off you or just have a phone call? Where, whereabouts can they find you? Uh, just, just my, myself, uh, I'm just an Airdrie, but just my cell number is the best. I, I don't, we don't, I even... don't charge for lessons. Oh. It's kind of a strange thing I have. Um, but I'm willing I'm willing to help if somebody wants to come along. The reason I don't charge for lessons is because if you come and you've given me a hundred dollars, I might not be able to help you. Right. Now, if somebody, you know, wants to help me back or, or extend a favor back, if I help them, great. But I want the freedom to tell you, no, nah, I'm not going to help you. And I'm not going to. I had a guy come one time and um, asked, what, what could I do with this dog? And I said, well, I don't know because the dog doesn't like you and I can't make him like you. So, <laughs> yeah, no. <thank you. laughs> and then uh, yeah, send him on down to Kyers, maybe. <laughs> well, yeah, I know all kinds of people. I had lots of people get insulted with me and go to Kyers. That, that, it's not abnormal. Well, For a yeah. long time, I wasn't allowed to go to Kyers dog night because he was just so worried that I might say something. <laughs> anyway. He's got me really help, pretty house trained now. I just go there and stand for a minute. <laughs> Can't Make believe an you. I don't know why he was worried. Most people, when they go to a clinic or something, they're not interested in learning how to work dogs, but they're interested in being a part of something. That's exactly right. Absolutely. So yeah. the community. Yeah. And I have no problem with it. I think it's wonderful. I'm just not that. That's just not me. I, I, I like a, a musician or anything else, I love the sport of the dogs, and I am going to tell you stuff whether you like it or not. Yeah. Yeah, I have that. And if you don't like problem. it, then you got to go somewhere where they're going to tell you what you want to hear. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think you're kind of breaking up here again. Um, well, Mel, we'll just uh, we'll thank you one final time, and uh, hope to we'll see you in the winter circle again. I'm sure, and uh, good luck with your bob lines, and uh, looks like. Uh, Looks like you got another good one that'll last you quite a while, and that's mm -hmm. um, yeah, it, you're exciting to watch, and we'll uh, we'll we appreciate okay. the conversation. Okay, thanks, guys. All right, take All right, care. Talk to you later. Bye. Goodbye.